on, everybody? Welcome to episode 242 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to check in on some of the training camp news going on around the league, how it is impacting our thoughts and opinions on these players as best ball season is ramping up. We have a bunch of new players in the player pool. It's a great time to be drafting. I'm seeing a lot of mistakes on a daily basis, and I think that one of the best ways we can get our edge is by staying up to date on this news and making our adjustments quicker than our opponents, and that's what this podcast is about. Before we get into some of the major news headlines, though, Joey, I wanted to know if you were following this Aaron Rodgers ayahuasca story where essentially, you know, for those of you who don't know, ayahuasca is like a, you know, spiritual experience, I I guess, where you go to a resort, you know, with a shaman and, and you drink this tea and it makes you sick and you throw up and like you shit your brains out and then you trip. You know, Google says, you know, you enter another dimension, but basically it's just a hallucinogenic that, you know, clears your mind. And what Aaron Rodgers did was take this in Peru in 2020 prior to his his season last year where he went on to be an MVP and he talked about how you know freeing his mind led to just seeing things differently and and sort of propelled him into the great season that he had last year. I just think this is a pretty interesting story you know especially on the subject of opening your mind and looking at things from a new perspective something that we've been getting into a little bit lately. Yeah I mean good for Rogers. I don't know too much about this herbal treatment thing or psychedelics or anything of that nature. Not too big into that but you know i'm glad he found that and i'm glad that he uh is spiritually awakened now Mm. and shout shout out to rogers i i don't really have anything else to add i i'm like i said i just i didn't even know about this story until you brought it up i didn't even know what this was or how to even pronounce it correctly So, yeah, but I, I, I have read and heard that taking some psychedelics is beneficial for your mental health, for sure. Have, have you ever done it, or would you ever do it? <laughs> I've never done it. Would I do it? Potentially, maybe. Not too sure. I think it'd be an interesting experience, but I guess I just don't have, like... I, I guess I just don't, like, feel the need to do it, or mm. have the overwhelming, like, deep desire to to do it like if it happens it happens but if it doesn't like my life will be fine you know yeah no i i totally feel that i'm a big advocate i i personally think that you know the few experiences i've ever had which was you know strictly with mushrooms not ayahuasca because i'm fucking broke and i can't spend five grand to go to a resort and have a shaman walk me through it i'll just (laughs) you know spend forty dollars and you know take my shrooms and look at some trees and think about life introspectively that's good enough for me but i i always find it to be a very uh awakening experience so all in i mean this makes me uh respect rogers (laughs) A little bit more to be honest but let's transition here into some nfl news we didn't talk about this on monday but jk dobbins was activated from the pup list per adam schefter it seems like he is on track to play week one while conversely reports on gus edwards are that he is doubtful for week one so jk dobbins you know, as he said, when he was absolutely obliterating Ian Rappaport on Twitter is on pace for week one. And and we are not properly respecting the grind that Dobbins has been on, but he tried to warn us on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, 
J.K. Dobbins is obviously ahead in his recovery. With Gus Edwards most likely being out for week one, I think J.K. is definitely in line for a good amount of opportunity. I'm still skeptical on whether or not he will play on passing downs, and I'm still skeptical on whether whether they will give him a full workload right off the bat. And then obviously, you take into account that they have Lamar Jackson, the best rushing quarterback in the NFL. They went out and signed Mike Davis. They drafted Tyler Batty. So there's still some more competition outside of Gus Edwards in the backfield. And he's still coming off of a torn ACL and other ligament damage in his knee, which could reduce his efficiency and effectiveness that we saw prior to his injury. I'm still out on J.K. Dobbins at his current ADP on under on underdog, which is about fifth or sixth round. I think he's just entrenched in the middle of the running back dead zone, and I will be fading him once again as I have for the last uh, year or two. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's just it's just hard because the Ravens target running backs at such a minimal rate that you know even without Edwards there, he's probably locked into a two down grinder role. I, w- I would expect Mike Davis to probably be the preferred pass catcher between the two but you know there are people who think that jk dobbins could be unlocked in that way if he got the opportunity we'll have to see how it goes i think in general this is a really positive report for dobbins just in the fact that he'll most likely be back by week one and if if edwards isn't there his you know projected workload should be higher than it would be if he was so in general i'm looking at this as a slight boost it's a good report good news on dobbins but i would still temper my expectations a lot of the reasons we've been fading Dobbins hasn't been his injury. It's been situational. So that mm-hmm. in itself hasn't changed. Yeah, and then just one more thing. I think that the Ravens are just going to kind of go back to how they played offense prior to 2021, and that was a run-centric approach. So I do think that he's going to obviously see a good amount of opportunity on the ground. But if he's not playing in passing situations, and if he's not earning targets and getting catches which are just way more valuable than rush attempts at the end of the day like I want no parts of J.K. Dobbins and in 2020 and 2019 Baltimore was last in the NFL in pass rate and in 2018 they were 30th but in 2021 they were 22nd so it jumped up quite a bit from 20 to 21 and Obviously, that was because of the injuries to the running backs. I expect them to revert back to their run first ways by using a running back by committee. And I I just think that the ceiling on J.K. Dobbins is lower than the players he's getting drafted around. So I'm still out on Dobbins. Do you think he's a better pick? on underdog than drafters i think i think that's probably it because a you're getting you know half point ppr versus full which you know favors dobbins and then also i think dobbins you know has enough of a ceiling on a week-to-week basis where he could get you know two rushing touchdowns because of the offense he's in but i just don't see him producing a full season of high points compared to some of the other players just because of that lack of pass catching I think that his full season upside is capped more so than his week-to-week upside. Yeah, I I totally agree. I would rather draft Dobbins on underdog to drafters or DraftKings, full PPR sites. But even then, you still get a half point per reception. So receptions are still valuable on underdog. And I really just want running backs that I think have at least a path to having a role in the passing game and I ultimately think that J.K. Dobbins doesn't I think he'll obviously get catches on early downs but 
he's not going to have that three down workhorse role that we want out of our running backs. Hmm. All right, let's talk about another interesting backfield on a good team. That is the Kansas City Chiefs. First and foremost, I need to apologize because I've been pronouncing Isaiah Pacheco's name wrong for the last like three weeks. It is Pacheco, Isaiah Pacheco. So, so my bad for that. But this man, seventh round rookie, has been getting an absolute enormous amount of buzz i swear to god every single day he's getting more and more buzz on twitter more buzz on roto world blurbs and i I mean where there's smoke there's fire right like he's damn near a lock to make the team over every other running back besides clyde edwards hilaire because he has won the starting job as a returner on special teams that in in and of itself locks him into a role on the team. It'll make him active every single week. Meanwhile, Ronald Jones is fourth in rotation in terms of these running backs at training camp. Jarek McKinnon has no guaranteed money on his contract. I think one of the two of them get cut. CEH will get the first crack. I think they want him to work out. But if he doesn't, I think there's a legitimate path for Pacheco, who's been getting you know work in the slot. He's been getting work as a receiver and is one of the fastest players on the roster. So I don't know. I think that there is a potential for Pacheco to be one of those Eli Mitchell-esque type of breakout players from a best ball perspective. I don't know if there's a better pick in best ball past pick 200 right now. Yeah, he's definitely a great pick for sure. I'm interested to see where his ADP is going to go after all of this buzz surrounding him. He has been one of the biggest risers, so he's getting over you know, his 280 P's in the 190s right now. I still think that's probably too low, especially if he can get on the field early in the season. And we know that CEH just isn't that talented of a running back, period. So I think there is definitely a path to him at least getting some opportunity. But ultimately, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be a running back by committee on one of the pass heaviest offenses in the NFL that runs a lot of trickery around the goal line and in the red zone. So realistically, what is his upside? I think I think his upside is a couple of big weeks if injuries break his way first and foremost. I mean, I think he could maybe work his way into having a decent role without that. But I, I mean, if Clyde goes down and, you know, say Rojo's cut at this point, and it's like McKinnon and Pacheco and Pacheco's the, the more interesting and athletic player. I don't see why they wouldn't give him a chance. And like, I think back to my team last year that won on drafters, Daryl Williams was a huge part of that because he got a couple of spot starts towards the end of the year and that came mm-hmm. in clutch. So I think I think Pacheco could be that type of player. I think that he's probably a better pick on playoff sites where he could have some spike weeks when you need it, but I'm not expecting him to, you know, have a massive total points season, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree, uh, for sure. And I, I think he's a solid pick, but his his price is only going to go up from here. So if you're listening to this, get your Isaiah Pacheco shares in while you can at his low ADP because uh, that shit is 100% skyrocketing. Yeah, I mean, if you think that the Roto World blurbs boost people's ADPs, just wait until he busts an 80-yard run in the preseason. Dude's going to be going in the 10th round. So... <laughs> <laughs> get your shares now another backfield that i've found pretty interesting and i don't i don't even know if we've like even talked about this over the past couple months but the 49ers right they've got 
Eli Mitchell sort of locked as the RB1. But after that, it's kind of anybody's guess. Jeff Wilson has been the RB2 throughout camp. I don't know if that's just a veteran look or if they have faith in him. I mean, he's lasted with the team for a while. He's now two years removed from his injury and supposedly looks like he's getting his burst back. I would take that with a grain of salt in terms of a camp report. But I mean, everybody outside of Eli Mitchell is relatively affordable. And the way the 49ers go, I just feel like anecdotally, it's rarely the guy who starts the year that is the impactful 49ers running back. It feels like it's been that way for years. So I think if we can nail who outside of Eli Mitchell is valued by the team, that there could be some value you there uh in in terms of best ball yeah it's just going to be hard to see who was valued by the team without watching them play meaningful games Mm -hmm. as we saw last year elijah mitchell was valued by the team but we didn't know that (laughs) until the season started shout out all those trey sermon shares yeah exactly and i think that you could take shots on Jeff Wilson or Trey Sermon this year again or Tyrion Davis Price any of the 49ers running backs I think are good late round running back selections for sure I do agree with your statement that it's usually the like the least drafted running back out of the 49ers backfield is the most impactful Mm -hmm. so if we're just going based off that it's probably Trey Sermon this year You know, I've, I, you know, Trey Sermon's a free right, uh, free pick right now. You can get him in the last round. Jeff Wilson is usually available in like the 19th round on drafters. So I, I think it's not bad to take shots on those guys and like as your sixth running back in a zero running back build or as your RB5 in a team with, you know, a couple strong anchor running backs. I, I think it's uh, pretty decent to try and take shots on those guys. Yeah, I, I like doing that. In other running back news, Eno Benjamin has apparently separated himself as the clear-cut number two running back in Arizona. They have Keontae Ingram as an incoming rookie. They signed Daryl Williams in the offseason to a cheap deal, but it is Benjamin who has been thriving outside of James Conner and Chase Edmonds had a great role on this team even when James Conner was flourishing so there's there's reason to believe that the RB2 here could be valuable obviously you know Benjamin's never really put it together but just from a value perspective Daryl Williams is a guy who's going between pick 180 and 185 in most drafts and you know Benjamin is regularly available in the last round so if he is truly going to be the Cardinals RB2 I think we're getting a decent discount on him when other players in the back backfield are getting drafted well above him yeah I I definitely like Eno Benjamin he's obviously getting some smoke in training camp right now and if James Conner were to go down I think he would be the the next guy up and I also think he can potentially be the pass down running back as well I mean we saw last year with Chase Edmonds that they wanted to run like a dual running back system and that's how a lot of teams are playing their running backs now right is in committees so I think Eno Benjamin could definitely have a role his current ADP is 208 an underdog and I think he is a fine late round selection you could do worse than Eno Benjamin especially if we're both on the thought process that James Conner is going to disappoint this year at his highest price ever, right? I mean, if, if he's going to disappoint, someone in that backfield's got to do something. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's his highest price ever. I think we were wrong about that. Somebody brought it up, so 
back in this we'll back out. in the Steelers days, right? He was like a second yeah. round. Yeah, no. Yeah. Shit. But none nonetheless, he's a third round pick and yeah, he's probably going to disappoint just because uh he's James Conner and that's what happens. So, yeah, mm-hmm. draft Dino Benjamin. Broncos offensive coordinator Justin Auten said this week that Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon will be on a quote pitch count throughout the season. Now, I don't know how you know what your reaction to this is. It's not what you want to hear, you know, if you're a Javante truther, like a lot of the times coaches trying to talk about usage in the offseason is just complete cap and and something we should disregard. But nonetheless, it isn't something that you want to hear. You know, you want to hear quotes like what we're hearing from Matt Rule and the Panthers being like, yeah, you know, all we're going to do with Christian McCaffrey is attack and we're going to feed him all the time and and put him out there. Like, that's what we want to be hearing. And it's just (laughs) not what we're hearing out of Denver. What we're hearing out of Denver is that, you know, this seems like it's headed for a pretty even split once again between the two backs. Yeah, I think that Melvin Gordon was good enough to at least have a split to start the season I think that there is a possibility that Javante could potentially turn that into you know a 55-45 or a 60-40 or something along those lines as the season goes on but yeah to start the season I I would fully expect uh, Javante and Melvin Gordon to be the running backs in the Denver offense that are going to play the most and split all of the opportunity. It it just sucks that, you know, they re-signed Melvin Gordon. I wish we could have got a Javante a workhorse year, but you know maybe maybe we're a year out of that. I mean, if that's the case, then is Melvin just a, a far superior pick at value, going you know in the like one tens compared to Javante who goes at the two three turn? I mean. Melvin is probably a a good pick, right? I think so. I think he's a good, like, RB3 type. Like, I mean, he'll have decent week-to-week value, and if Javante goes down, you know, welcome to 18 to 25 touches for that week. Yeah, exactly. And those are the running backs that you want to be drafting in that range are the running backs with standalone value, but a path to becoming a three-down workhorse, which Melvin Gordon does if Javante were to ever suffer an injury. So I do think that Melvin Gordon is a pretty good pick and he's probably a better value than Javante Williams right now obviously Javante is more talented though and he's just the the more fun pick that's what it comes down to right mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon is not fun drafting him isn't fun no drafting Javante Williams is fun drafting Melvin Gordon's actually quite unenjoyable <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's why Javante's ADP is in the second round, and Melvin Gordon's is in the eleventh. Yeah, I've I've pretty I've gone pretty full circle on Javante. Where like I think at the beginning of this offseason, I did a video or we did a video like saying uh, take Javante over Dalvin Cook. That that's a huge L. That is just a massive L on our part slash my part since I think I was the one making that argument, but. Yeah, I took Dalvin Cook. You said Javante. You did. I mean, I was uh, right once again. Once again. Never fails. last running back story i wanted to touch on this is just a funny one like the running backs coach for the steelers said that he wants Najee harris to have seven fewer snaps per game and i just i just want to know where he got that number from where did that come from why seven (laughs) they looked at last year and you're like you know what the problem with this offense is Najee was seeing seven too many snaps every game let's scale that back like what (laughs) uh i mean yeah, just a that's a bullshit uh report. Yeah, they're funny, but I mean, Najee has fallen. Like I I see I see Najee in the second round sometimes and 
you know, I've kind of come back from my stance that I think he should be a top end first round pick because of the guaranteed workload being so good. But at the same time, like that workload is good. And, you know, I've switched stances and the fact that I like Dalvin a little bit more, we're back in on Henry. But I think Najee is a phenomenal pick at the at the one two turn. You know, if you pair him with Adams or CD, or if you want to double down with like Najee and DeAndre Swift, those are great starts. I think Najee's gonna be a great asset this year to have. Yeah, he's just a he's just a very uh safe pick. Like you you can't go wrong with drafting Najee. You'll probably get sixteen to eighteen points per game on average. Obviously he's not he's probably not gonna finish as the running back one overall or anything but he's going to be a consistent weekly option just due to the opportunity that he will see as one of the only bell call running backs left in the NFL. Absolutely. Pretty running back heavy show. There hasn't been too much news outside of that. The only the only thing I did want to ask you though is the the stuff around Traylon Burks. You know, he's been running with the second and third team. He's been struggling. It's been on and off, right? Like it was shaky reports at first, and then he was looking really good and unstoppable. And now we're back to struggles. And I just don't know if this is something we should really be concerned about with Burks, or you know, is this like the story last year where Jamar Chase can't catch an NFL sized football and everyone was freaking out over that and then Jamar Chase comes out and dominates the league I I don't know what's your concern level right now with Traylon Burks rookie wide receiver for the Tennessee Titans I don't think my concern level is too high he's still going to be out there from day one he's still going to have a ton of opportunity as the AJ Brown replacement but I will say it is pretty concerning that you know, it hasn't just been one report, right? With Jamar Chase, it was he can't see the ball because the NFL balls don't have the white stripes like the college footballs do, mm-hmm. right? He can't catch. Obviously, we all knew that was bullshit. This dude, Jamar Chase, was one of the best prospects to come out of college football in the last, like, 25 years. Like, anybody who thought Jamar Chase was going to be bad is just an idiot, and you shouldn't be listening to them, period. Correct. Like, and, and Burks is not that prospect. Yeah, Burks isn't that prospect. And there's been numerous reports besides this most recent one. Traylon Burks has had like the conditioning issue and the asthma and other players are ahead of him and he's running with the backups and whatnot. So there are more concerns. I do think it is just, you know, just camp bullshit personally. And I think, like I said, he'll be out there day one. But I will say a, a name to a name to watch out for a little sleeper is Kyle Phillips. Kyle Phillips. Kyle Phillips on the Titans. He's also a rookie. He's been getting a little bit of buzz on fantasy Twitter, uh, but he's he's definitely somebody that could uh, potentially leapfrog into the top three pass catchers on the Titans. And, you know, he's, he's made some plays at Titans training camp. So mm, interesting. Interesting. I feel like it's been Woods and uh, Westbrook Akine sort of locked up top, but maybe Phillips uh, displaces Westbrook. And, you know, we have like a Woods, Phillips, Burks working in sort of situation. That would be interesting. I guess my main concern with Burks is just where he's getting drafted. He's getting drafted out of wide receivers that have not been getting struggle reports you know wide receivers who have been flashing guys like Olave and Sky Moore and not only that but those guys are on offenses that I would expect to be much better passing attacks so I think I'm out on Burks at his price right now I've been pretty off on Burks at his price all offseason I just don't like taking him with a top 90 pick when I think you can get guys that are pretty comparable especially from an upside perspective a little bit later yeah no I totally agree I don't have much Burks this year so in other wide receiver news Jenna Lane of ESPN was at Bucks practice today and reported that Russell Gage pulled up at some point was grabbing his leg 
And that was it. You know, the story hasn't been updated. There were no follow-up tweets, and I don't think there have been any press conferences at the time of us recording to address this, but it is just something to keep an eye on. Mike Evans is also day-to-day with his injury, so... You know, they're getting short at camp. We'll have to keep an eye on the severity of this Russell Gage injury. Yeah, I mean, he's been dropping in best ball because of the Julio Jones signing. I mean, Russell Gage isn't a sexy pick by any means. Obviously, he should have some value as a pass catcher in a Tom Brady-led offense, but, like, it's Russell Gage. Like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Russell. Sorry, Russell. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. That is Fair enough, but, you know, hopefully the injury doesn't take him out for the year. I guess the last thing I wanted to touch on were a couple of teams that have been getting, you know, negative reports surrounding their camp and how much credence we put into that. Just because, I mean, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, I think that a lot of the times at this point in the year, everybody looks good. You know, they're not playing at full speed. They're not taking massive hits. And, and in general, like the media in a given city wants to hype up the fan base. You know, this is a time where fans of bad teams can still look and be hopeful, you know, before reality sets in on September 11th. So, you know, getting all of these negative reports is interesting. You don't, you wouldn't think that that is what they want to perpetuate, but there are some situations where it's happening. One of them is in Washington where Carson Wentz has been just missing wide open targets. Like guys aren't even being covered. It's literally a receiver running down the field and this dude is airballing it. And, and I mean, okay, you know, it's Carson Wentz. What did we expect? But does this impact the way that you look at maybe some of the pass catchers, i.e. Terry McLaurin going at the 3-4 turn around guys and offenses that I think we have significantly more confidence in. Like Terry is an ultra-talented player, no doubt about it. There's no question, just got the extension. But if he's attached to Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz is out there doing a you know Heineke impression, I don't know if we should be taking him over guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Gabriel Davis, etc. Yeah, I mean, you could factor in quarterback play for sure into who you draft at a specific range. I definitely incorporated like offensive environment into my personal rankings as well. I think that it is concerning to hear about teams struggling, but at the end of the day, it is August. It is preseason. There's still a month left of the offseason to get your team right, to get your offense right. And specifically for uh, the commander's situation, they still have Taylor Heineke, who who was solid and still can provide value. Um, They drafted Sam Howell, who's been solid in training camp, and they could potentially make that switch in season. And maybe that helps the skill position players. But nonetheless, with like Terry McLaurin specifically, he's still going to be a 25, 30% target share player. And you just want those players on your team, regardless of if the quarterback is good or not. And I think Carson Wentz is obviously not great, but he can he can get the ball to Terry McLaurin. He got the ball to Pittman last year. Pittman had a you know a pretty decent year. I think at worst he could do that with Terry McLaurin specifically. Uh, but some of the other guys, I think you you gotta you gotta ding them a little bit, like Dotson and Gibson and Curtis Samuel or whoever else that is getting drafted on Washington. That makes sense. The other team. Joey, that I've been hearing some uh, struggle go. reports Here about. Here we fucking I go. didn't even say it yet. The New England Patriots. 
Jets are apparently rolling out this entire new offensive scheme from a philosophical perspective. Things are changing. You know, this is becoming more of a zone blocking scheme, something that is new to the team under the Bill Belichick era. Josh McDaniels is gone. We've got NFL failures returning to Foxborough and Matt Patricia and, and Joe Judge. Mac Jones has been apparently struggling to get his feet wet in this new offense. Is it time to sound the alarms, Joey? I mean, I'm sure you don't think this matters at all. I think that it's August 10th. Brilliant observation. I think that there is a lot of time for the offense to become more cohesive and to figure out the the kinks and get everything situated for the season opener in one month. I think that the Patriots always start off the season pretty slow. They have over the last few years, even with Brady. Uh, These Patriots teams tend to start a little bit slower in September and then I think that they'll hit their groove midway through the season and they'll probably win 10 games because they have the greatest coach of all time. And I'm not too concerned about going from a gap-based blocking scheme to a zone-based blocking scheme. Obviously, we're not football guys and we're not fucking scheme guys and personnel and how they're going to run the offense from an X and O standpoint. But I got to think that like this is just being overblown. I got to think that if they run this in season and it doesn't work, that Bill Belichick is ultimately just going to revert back or at least put some of the old scheme into the new scheme if it doesn't work. And I got to think that the greatest coach of all time will take over if necessary from Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who were pretty successful in New England, which is why they got jobs outside of New England and were trash. So they bring them back get them back in the home. They'll figure it out. They'll beat their over-under of eight and a half games. They'll win between nine and 11 games, and all will be right in the world, okay? It's, it's, It's that simple. I don't need to say anything else. Nothing to worry about here. Nothing to see here. Everything is going to be a okay in New England. Bill Belichick can solve any problem, right? That's why he's the GOAT. Do you think that he could stomach sacrificing an entire season? You know, what I heard was that, you know, this no. could this could be a long-term investment in the future of the team that, you know, Bill Belichick doesn't have to worry about his job security. It's just a matter of if his ego can handle, you know, sacrificing a year for the betterment of the team's offense down the line. Anybody who thinks that this is a sacrificial year shouldn't have a job. Because if there was any year to sacrifice, it was a year after Tom Brady left, 2020, where they rolled out Cam Newton as their starting quarterback with one of the worst Patriots teams in the NFL. That was the year to absolutely mail it in with the loaded quarterback class coming in from last year and they could have easily got the number one number two overall pick and had a Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or somebody obviously they were fortunate enough that Mac Jones somebody that they were high on fell to 15 but if that didn't happen obviously this Patriots team would look completely different right now but that was the year to sacrifice so why didn't they sacrifice that year why did they go out they went seven and nine it wasn't a great year but if I'm not mistaken they lost what five one score games They lost the Seahawks game on the last play. They lost one of the Bills games because Cam Newton's bum ass fumbled at the 20 yard line when they would have kicked a game winning field goal. Why wasn't that year the sacrificial year? Why does it have to be this year when the roster has, in my opinion, improved on offense? The depth has improved on defense. They got younger. They got faster. Why is this the sacrificial year just because of this zone blocking scheme? 
that's being implemented. And they're having struggles in early August. Because Bill couldn't come to terms with his ego that there would be any lapse post-Brady. Because he thought that, you know, he was the sole architect of the greatest run in football history. So that that's why he wanted, he, you know, he couldn't have a bad year the first year after Brady. That would tarnish his legacy. That would tarnish his ego. He did have a, a bad year. A bad year like, by uh, his standards, right? But it wasn't a sacrificial year. It wasn't a year that they were aiming not to win games. They still went all out. And, and you know, years later now, as, as we enter, what, year three post-Brady, he's yeah. realized that, you know, the changes implemented we're not we're not enough so from the ground up we rebuild and (laughs) no no (laughs) because they made the playoffs last year with a worse team they went 10 and 7 right they got there so and then they got their absolute fucking boot smoked 47 points dropped on their heads by josh allen new kings of that division and that is what brought them to this realization right realizations are brought on by an event by a traumatic event and that beatdown is what brought bill belichick to this realization some could say those aren't my opinions that's just what somebody could say yeah but if <laughs> you think bill belichick just magically loses that perceived ego you think he has and he is going to have a bad season on purpose or you know sacrifice quote unquote this year you're just an idiot i'm not saying that he's going to sacrifice the year intentionally i'm just saying that maybe this change to the offense philosophically is important enough to him for the long-term future of the team that if it does go poorly in the beginning of the year that maybe they don't revert like you were saying like maybe they don't address it because ultimately they want to force their way through it and if a losing season is the result of that then that may be an acceptable outcome for the long term of the team. That is just the way that it could play out, which would I mean you're gonna have to accept year. you're gonna have to accept any outcome, no matter what happens, right? He had to accept that they went seven and nine. So you can't there's nothing you could do about it once it's over. So yeah, like obviously he's going to have to accept a losing season if that's how it plays out over the year. But if you think that he's not going to go out there and try and win every game, you're out of your goddamn mind. All right. Okay. I just wanted to touch base with you because I, I just, you know, you're the you're the New England Patriots guy, and I, I look to you to get my information and my takes about what's going on in Foxborough. So, I mean, that's all that's going on here. No, no an- I'm not just, antagonizing. Just bet the trying. over eight and a half wins. You'll cash, and you'll make some money because they're winning nine games. It's that simple. Will they make the playoffs and make the Super Bowl? No. Whatever. It's a tough division. Will they win games? Absolutely. Will they have a good year? Probably. Come back to me in December when I'm right once again, as I was last year with the Patriots, and we'll talk about it then. Copy that. Putting it in my calendar right now. And that is going to be it for episode 242 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what is going on on the podcast, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord chat that we host. Link to find that is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.